3: Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, going out on a Thursday so we can all go underground after the Nen Derby. I'm Tom Reid and joining me tonight are three gents who would normally be found on Derby Day, hanging from the light fittings of the cherry tree Peterborough. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, Ian Bradd and Jefferson Lake. Andy, I saw you tweeted this week a très bien photo of Phil Chard in a France shirt. It was pretty cool, wasn't it? What a player and what a shirt
4: brilliant again pete norton you know being in the right place the right time snapping away at training um yeah just love it because i think it's from from about 1986 that photo so um you know the glory would that have been
3: a french shirt of of that vintage or an older one
4: he was he was wearing because i was just scrolling through the 28,000 photos i've got on my uh, phone (laughs) Wow. Uh, oh, that's quite an interesting one. And um, yeah, I tweeted it out last year, and um, during lockdown when insanity was taking hold, and I ended up looking up that France shirt. And yeah, it was the the 1978 France World Cup shirt, long sleeve, as uh, nice. that, that will um, excite the aficionados. <laughs> um, apparently, um, and yeah, I just it was a nice image, probably too good too good a shirt. What was he playing at? too good a shirt to train training in down Hamilton Park run it in mud but yeah lovely image
3: he um he could almost look like a French player had that moody look going on didn't he a little bit of a, that sort of a sullen sort of I, I'm pretty good I know it look on his face so I reckon he could have uh, he pulled that one off quite well and we were talking earlier on on whatsapp about talking of shirts that you know you really should be doing that in it I remember um I used to do like paint the walls in my house with um, wearing the lotto shirt just as it was like a, just an old rough piece of crap and now we looked on eBay and they're going for 150 quid it's just crazy isn't
4: it
3: Scandalous. sacrilege <laughs> martin it's been a really good week for you because as we know you were at weatherspoons in town at 10 a.m this week <laughs> as the pubs reopened. how did it go mate
4: a
5: good time oh, honest honestly it's um I've been, I've been like first week back on on shift shift as it were this week doing earlies. and um yeah, seeing the queues outside the Weber Spoons, uh, the Cordway. Now it was um, yes, yeah, slightly. <laughs> I mean, honest on a Saturday morning, I'll happily be in a pub at ten a.m. on a football <laughs> day, and the car
3: I hasten to add left at home. Mine. I heard on the grapevine that you were thrown out for singing the fields of Athenry at 11am. It must be a rumour. <laughs> well, I'd throw me out of anywhere for my singing, whatever song it was. My my
5: crystal chandeliers has been sung in both the Ecton one and well, the Deer's Leap. I,
4: I feel that this needs um, a contribution along those lines. I nipped out earlier just just to the um, shop get some beers actually. <laughs> And I said, obviously, we, we've all noticed the traffic getting a little bit, um, uh, you know, traffic's got a little bit thicker again. And so I, I, I was coming down Mirway earlier. You know, one of those stretch party pink Humvees. <laughs> oh, blimey. Seriously. <laughs> what, are you,
5: what are
4: you off to? You go, you go,
5: you go into Tesco, Tesco at Mereway and, and there's one of them. I mean, where's, where's it going to? Chips. Chilies, or was it, is it the double?
4: The pioneer?
5: Is that still there?
3: <laughs> that was Slugger coming home from town. Don't listen to him. He was in that back of that thing, the party bus. There were a few blokes in claret and gold in the back. <laughs> so, Ian, onto you, mate. Uh, we've managed to get rid of the attentions of Peter after Toadgate, so you can rest easy now. How is your cobbler's ometer feeling about the posh match this week? Are you got football fever or are you a bit more downbeat?
2: Here you are. I've, I've kind. Of, it kind of links into my, um, my football moment of the week. Like physically, by the way, I'm feeling shocking just playing football again. I don't know how you got on on Monday, Jeff, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old. My le- oh, my legs aren't doing too well today. This is the worst I've felt. <laughs> in a long
6: time. I, 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 found it's getting better each week. I must. Mean, I
2: mean, yeah. Not, it? Sit with me. I don't know, but um, (laughs) cobblers wise, um, Tom, my football. Well, I've got a few actually, I've got one to kind of make up for bodfish's lack of moments. So, I've got a few if you don't mind, okay. Um, by by the way, that that Phil Chad photo, I remember that because do you remember the um champions souvenir magazine of the um 86 87 season? Yeah, it's in there, and I can even remember the caption. I promise you, I haven't looked this up because I don't know where it is now. But it said Phil Chad played a blinder despite being sick. That's what it says underneath, referring to like the whatever game it's referring to, and they use a picture of Phil Chad instead of a you know a, a, a photo from him in action in said match that they're reporting on. It's. Is a picture of him training in Hamilton Park in the summer wearing his France shirt, but yeah, because I remember looking at that picture thinking, Well, is that what? Like, did he come off because he was sick and he took <laughs> off his copper shirt and put a France shirt on? That's what I thought as a child. Um, <laughs> my um, I've got two like my, my main football moment of the week is is like I think what will happen is prediction for Friday night. So, my main my, my prediction is soft your dad won the Spanish Cup, beating Atletico Bilbao, the Basque Cup final. Um,
5: oh, did you see the ad manager when he said yeah. did the interview, when it was like, can I stop being, you know, I'm going to stop being a manager and be a fan? And he sang that song. Yeah. 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 Beautiful.
3: I don't want to think yeah, yeah. it was a song, really. It was more like a a war cry, Martin, I would say. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> what passed for a song at football? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it
2: was very, like, very passionate,
3: though, and it was great
2: to see. Uh, anyway, go on in. Sorry, Because if you go to, like the Bass country, obviously, like Bill Bow are the big, the big boys, you know, they are like the main Bass team, everyone talks about. about. And Sophia had a kind of the poor relations. Um, don't, don't want to draw too many parallels, but you know, Peterborough is kind of in Northamptonshire, isn't it, for football purposes? They're for some reason still affiliated with the North, yeah. North Fats FA. We obviously moved the border to kind of get rid of them a few years back, but um,
3: yeah.
2: they're still, they're still around, you know, they're the big, they're the big boys, they're favorites on Friday night. Who knows? We all thought we'd be going to watch the game by now, didn't we? When the fixtures got released and the same thing happened with the Spanish cup final. I know. I think, I think it's looking good for us. I think I think an upset is on the cards, despite everything. I think an upset's on the cards, so there we go. I'm
3: kind of glad <laughs> we're not going to watch it, to be honest.
2: <laughs> oh, where's, your, where's your optimism? Where's your optimism? <laughs>
3: My optimism's toggled off uh, for the Cobblers this season, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah well, guys,
2: another football moment of the week, which I think I think because you know Bill Bow playing red and white stripes because I think did Sunderland dock workers go there and set up a team? Like a lot. Yeah,
5: yeah, I think that, yeah similar to Juventus with Notts County and other ones. And, I, and I've
2: got a feeling there's a link between West Brom and, um, and soft. why they're playing blue and white stripes and i just want to say as well on another football moment week wasn't it good this this day of football shirts um like all being sponsored by by online gambling firms wasn't it good to see west brom extend their contracts with um the boiler company and boiler man is still going to be their mascot (laughs) yes Yeah, <laughs> life on there's like just like my boiler. There's life in the old dog yet. Yeah, he's still going to be there with the Hawthorn fans return. The Is world. he
3: like a combi boiler, or does he go walk around with one of those big? Do you know those big water tanks you used to have in there back in the day? He had like
2: uh, a. He's a modern one. I think he's like one of your modern. He's one of your modern boilers. I don't think he's a massive combi. Do you remember when like now it's betting companies? Do you remember it was a big thing like to see little. Little boys walking around in shirts that said, like, McEwen's Lager. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I'm you, I've well, this is put on uh, Take Your Pick the other day to show the kids, you know, the, the Desert kind O'Connor of thing with the yes and no game. Mm. And it like, it panned to the audience at Thames Television in 1992, or whatever. And there's a bloke there in a ranger's shirt, McEwen's Lager. <laughs> I'm going to go and watch Take Your Pick be filmed. I've better put my ranger's shirt on. Oh, uh,
4: a mascot i mean when is um one of the clubs sponsored by a you know betting gambling company going to do the same and introduce a mascot that's just a sort of degenerate alcoholic with a with a cigarette in his hand i think it's
2: sad though isn't it because because one day they will move on and obviously boiler man will be redundant just like all these boilers they get put on the scruffy one day boiler man will
3: ian like um asbestos man
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I remember when um I remember do you remember that Blackpool game we won about in the summer with that back volley goal that we were talking Ooh. about that game? And um, I remember the mas- the Blackpool mascot that that year was Cable Cat and he was like the local cable company um their like you know, their version of what was ours? Nortel? You must know Bodfish because they they had your channel N- on there.
5: NTL wasn't
2: it? NTL, yeah. Like the Blackpool equivalent, they sponsored Blackpool, and then ma- the mascot was Cable Cat. Remember that? that? Not,
5: is that not a band playing in the back room of the racehorse, the Blackpool equivalent?
2: <laughs> Cable. The cat. Blackpool equivalent. Cable Cat.
5: <laughs> <laughs> two yeah. pound, pa- two pound
3: in one pound concessions.
2: Let's go get down there. Get down Ian, when, I, when
3: I was little, in um, my mate used to support Glasgow Rangers. Sorry to tell you, Martin. And he so everybody don't say used to, baby. He lager They were quite, all quite good. I think they're quite classic shirts, apart from the old lager thing. And we used to. um His dad wouldn't. His dad was how would we describe it? A strong, passionate
5: Rangers fan. Rangers fan. standard, <laughs> baby, standard. And he wouldn't let him Storch play for Gregory word, Celtic. I think.
2: <laughs> Definitely.
3: Gregory <laughs> Celtic. He couldn't. He He couldn't get, He couldn't play for Gregory Celtic. And he, you know, the green well, was the color green now. was pretty much banned. And, <laughs> We used to go around there, and he's, he, he used to have this like tape, like a, in the tape player, and he used to have um, a lot of Rangers songs, which were what, what's the term for it? Um, uh, is it party tunes? They call them. Generally, yeah, that sort of, of thing.
5: But yeah, there was a lot, a lot killing, of songs about the Roman stuff, Catholics.
3: Which, yes. <laughs> thinking back on it, when you're about eight, and you make Sarah and his Mickie like a top listening to these songs. Heady days, what? heady days. But anyway, um,
2: at the time when Rangers and Celtic both had the same sponsor, like whoever it was, they didn't they,
5: Yeah, what they what they did it's in Glasgow, it's, it was a sen- it was a sensible move, I think. If you are a business in Glasgow, you were if you sponsor one or the other, you'd alienate the other half of them. Yeah. So what you what they did, I think they had a company that worked on behalf of both that would say, we'll sell the sponsorship. Um, deals. I think McEwen's are the first ones to break it up to both clubs. Yeah. I think it was C R Smith for yeah, ages. Right. I think it was a car dealership, but you you kind of figure it's as it was a a nice little cartel because you probably get more out of sponsoring both than you would do out of sponsoring one and not the other.
2: Well going back to the Basque Derby, it's like Mick George Skips with us, isn't it? They're affiliated with ourselves
6: Peterborough. Um, to be fair, I don't think any I don't think any Peterborough fan has ever bought a carpet from Carpet Supercentre. <laughs> <For> <laughs> the Same reason. I feel if that only um, we
3: could say the same about the Skips. I I feel that, that Skip company was when they sponsored cobblers. People knew that they already had a relationship with Posh, so people didn't really trust it. And it was compounded by that game on the pitch where with that tiny skip you had to chip the ball into, which was about three foot across and impossible to get in. Do you remember chip the skip or yeah. something.
2: So, listen, I got i I've got a link there. My mate Steve, he did the skip. He hit the lip of it. He nearly got it in. Um, <laughs> and um, do you know something? He was telling me, like, he's happily got a partner now. But when he was out on Tinder looking for babes, you know, this um, <laughs> girl got in to him and they exchanged a few messages. And she lived in Corby. And she she asked him if he fancied coming on some orange man, like carry a whole oh, orange yeah. walk. Oh dear. <laughs>
3: oh, no.
5: Yeah. Can I can I wear my Celtic shirt, love?
3: <laughs> I thought that story was going to involve some sort of skip, Ian. I thought it, like he. London, yeah, London, something, yeah, something
4: happened
2: in the we skip. Just like London Road will be in a skip before we know it, anyway. Where it belongs, just like the old song says, it's falling down, isn't it? Be a of a <laughs>
4: <stuff>. <laughs> I
5: wish our ground was falling down like that. Looking <laughs> you know, a sight better. Although I was, I was talking with um, a couple of couple of supporters at work of bigger clubs that have occasionally been down at our level, like Leicester and that. And, um, I did all, everyone's agreed that Moy's end at Peterborough was one of the best away days ever, whatever club you supported. Yeah, it was.
3: Yeah. I remember going there and I looked it up actually the other day. I found the program for it. I think it was an auto windscreen, maybe about 98, 99, yeah. 90, around there, an auto windscreen game. And it was just not much of a game, really, not, not much of a big game, but just cobblers turned up in numbers. And it was a night game under lights. At, um. London Road. I must have been 1997. 15, 16, something like that. And um, my friend snuck in. I didn't know anything about this for legal purposes. He snuck in an air horn. So if anyone remembers the air horn on the terrace that night, that was my Yeah, but
5: air horns only ever played one tune. Yeah. I don't think you pressed it once and it just played that. You know, like 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 a, a horn on um an old car that plays la cacaracha, or whether you had to play it in tune. What a life
3: mysteries. But after the go- I'm sure we must have scored in that game. I'm pretty sure we did. Just magic to hear that air horn from your mate again on the on the Moist Terrace against Peterborough. is a it was a life moment. Absolutely brilliant. So I completely agree with that one. My football moment of the week it's a little bit silly really um northampton have northampton town have announced their latest club partner and it is the turmeric company which is our official turmeric i think been... turmeric is the word you're looking for no no it's called turmeric martin which <laughs> is sure turmeric isn't it, it but, isn't i love you spice. know in mumbai they call it turmeric oh, i <laughs> probably <dumb>. don't anyway <laughs> turmeric turmeric whatever it's a spice um so yeah we've now got official turmeric uh Sponsor, which I think is like, I'm slightly concerned that they're being, they're leaving out all the other spices. What do you reckon? (laughs) Cumin. What else is there? There's uh, a coriander, coriander, chili, (laughs) coriander. Uh,
5: Very sage sage point. Oh, (laughs) I think you're mixing
3: your herbs and your spices, sir. Tarragon. I'm just trying to name as many. That's a herb as well, isn't it?
4: it was really, up the time. Sorry, oh. <laughs>
3: good heavens, Andy! You here all week?
4: <laughs>
3: so yeah, keep an eye on that one. Every club needs an official turmeric partner. So Jeff, um, did you cover any Nendarby matches at the Cron? What was it like oh. reporting on those sort of games? It was. They were.
6: They were great. Um, they're really good. I covered the one. It's already been mentioned the um, the Shaun St Ledger one, where oh, um, the only Scott,
5: goal I've ever seen a and, score at um, London Road that was
6: yeah um, and we um, so I was I used to go to games with a guy called Steve Walsh Walshy who's a huge cob, real hardcore Cobblers fan or at least was then anyway and we'd sit in the press box a lot of the time but press box would get really busy so we'd sit in quite side of the stand a bit and um, they announced the man of the match. And um, the the home crowd disagreed with who it was. And this old dear turned to Walshie and said, who do you think it should have been? And he went, I thought, I think Martin Smith's been amazing. And um, she looked at him like he'd he'd done a piss on the floor. She looked looked at him actual absolute disgust and uh, and just walked away. (laughs) It was a really heartwarming moment. so, yeah, that's that's I think that's the only one I did at their ground. no, i I did do other ones at theirs because there was the one where we lost, didn't we, on the way to relegation when we had a catchy and those players. So yeah, I did I did a few at both grounds, but always always great fun. The guy who covers Peterborough for the Peterborough Even Telegraph, Alan Swan, is um a huge um, antagonist on Twitter is is an absolute. He's made it into an art form uh upsetting people and winding people up he's he's good fun he's a really nice guy in real life but yeah Yeah. classic wind-up merchant
3: is he related to the cricketer or not
6: Uh, No, i don't think so no sadly
3: so um what was your um football moment of the week jeff oh yeah
6: the long-awaited football moment of the week it's it's been given the big build-up now and it's not actually that great (laughs) um I was uh I was delighted to see the new uh host of Football Focus announced. It's Alex Scott, who's a former England Women's International, played in the World Cup for England, 140 caps, I think she got. Um she's done a lot of stuff for Sky, she's done a lot of stuff for everyone, really, BT, sports, BBC. I think she's brilliant. I think she's a really good pundit. Um so my four moment of the week is kind of ties in with um the tweet that you put out from the Wallach. Twitter account asking for underrated play, underrated defenders. Yeah, so I tweeted earlier today saying, um, great to see the only downside to Alex Scott becoming the presenter is that you lose her as a pundit, but otherwise a superb choice. I can't think of anyone better. And I tweeted that and I got a notification almost immediately from a tweet from Ashley Hardy, Cobbers fan saying Jerry Gill. And I thought, yeah. Does he think that Jerry Gill would have been a better choice for Football Focus? <laughs> of course, it's a reply to the to the "What a load of cobblers" tweet about <laughs> Razor defenders. But for the briefest of moments, I thought Jerry Gill as host of Football Focus. Oh, that's a that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, maybe that, maybe that could be quite interesting. But um, yeah, so yeah, Alex Scott, brilliant. You, you just, as the saying goes, you love
3: to see it, don't you? Have you ever have you ever met her, Jeff, on your? Sort of, um, I haven't, no,
6: but um, interestingly, uh, my department that I'm in now, it's kind of evolved two or three times since I've been in it. But when I joined it, it was, uh, and this sort of dates it a bit and shows how quaint it was. It was writing uh, news stories for digital text, which was still, you know, it was the what followed on from Teletext, which was on, you know, you used to get Sky Text. Um, so it was kind of the department that just did that. Now, when Alex Scott was doing her, I think she's got a degree in journalism or sports journalism, she's definitely got a a degree in one of those. Um, She did uh, work experience in our team, but it was before my time. But there's still a few of the older lads in my team who claim her as one of ours. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, you know, we we helped her get where she was today, you know, ignoring the fact that she was England International and played World Cups and is very intelligent and good speaker and stuff but yeah so I, but I'm, to answer your question I've never actually met her no mm.
3: you've met Ric Flair though so I've met Ric Flair I'd, I'd
6: take Ric Flair over Alex Scott sorry sorry, Alex mm-hmm. if you're listening but <laughs>
3: you're yeah, the nature boy any day so let's talk about Friday nights and then Derby probably the least look forward to Derby game on this side of the river for quite some time I'm joined by James Maley, football stats analyst from report underscore posh on twitter how you doing, James? Let's face it, Peterborough go into the game as strong favourites and will be more than up for putting a nail in our relegation coffin.
7: I mean, you think so, wouldn't you? Currently um five points clear of third and second place, coming into the game in a, in a good run of form, having having beaten Swindon at, at a fair canter, to be fair, 3-0 could have been more, caused very, very few problems in that game. And it's a game that I'm sure the side are confident and positive going into. And Boyd as well, by Sunderland's result yesterday, they know that promotion is very much in their hands now. Probably need a maximum of four wins to to guarantee it. Even three wins might be enough. Um, so, yeah, it is all all looking pretty good at at this side.
3: The only thing I would say is that um, it's going to be a high-pressure game for a Peterborough with a lot at stake. And there has been, you know accusations in the past that they've bulked at the, fallen at the final hurdle do you reckon they're in a good place to handle the pressure this time around? Yeah so those
7: those accusations, I think what we tend to have found if, if looking back with the um, looking back with hindsight is that often I think the sides were just overperforming early in the season and then fell away following about January, I'm not sure if that was ever a mental issue I think that was more of just a, a lack of quality in the team to sustain the run throughout the whole season and often being carried by maybe one or two really good attacking players and being over-reliant on them, whereas now the whole team, this is probably the, the best side as a complete team, perhaps not playing the best football, but as, a, as an organised unit that Posh have ever had in League One. The, in terms of the pressure, the, the, the Sunderland game was built up as that, as that real high-profile game. And I heard a lot of the Sunderland preview was focusing on the experience of Sunderland against a younger posh side and, and how they'd have a mental edge. And Sunderland started that game much better, but 20 minutes onwards, posh with a better team in that game. And barring one mistake um, to give away a free kick, probably would have gone on to win that game. And I think we saw uh, similar in Swindon. So again, high pressure situation, again, started slowly. So that opening 20 minutes could be key before coming into the game and absolutely dominating the game. And if we look back at the the first fixture between Northampton and Peterborough I think we saw for about 20 25 minutes Northampton really were able to play at a real high physical intensity and match posh but yeah. then but then the the quality gap that's probably between the two teams shone through after that and I think those opening stages posh have had a habit of starting games slowly and growing into them so I think those opening stages if Northampton are to get a result are going to be absolutely vital in terms of if they if they're going to if they're going to win the game probably need to score in that opening 20 minutes when Posh may start a little bit slower and you've got the nerves, you've got the tempo of the game will be much higher. I think when it settles down, I'd expect to see Posh grow into the game and, and, and start being the, the better team in the game, provided they're not you know a goal or two behind it from a potentially chaotic start.
3: Yep, I'd agree with a lot of that. Makes a lot of sense. I guess from a phantom perspective, we, we've got to hope that the nerves get to Posh a little bit. Although it's a behind closed door derby there will be some press hype about it they will players will be aware of it and they know what's at stake in both in points and with the fans um you know expectations so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that posh might start slowly and just uh, if cobblers can be in their faces again might sort of shape a different perspective on the first half an hour maybe but then uh, cobblers need to manage the game Going forward, and that's going to be a difficult one for us. Um, let's go through some of Posh's recent form. You talked a little bit about the recent results. So, beat Swindon 3 0. That's a solid win, but Swindon aren't pulling up many trees at the moment. Uh, drew 1 all with Sunderland. That will be seen also as a solid result against a very highly um, funded club. And then uh, beat Fleetwood 1 0. So, it's, it's you know, on paper, it's solid form, isn't it? And it, it should give Posh, unfortunately, a bit of confidence.
7: Yeah, so they posh did go for a, a semi sketchy patch, but I think like the three, the top three teams have been in such good form. When you do have a drop off of a game or two, it really heightens it. And then came into an Atkinson Stanley game and beat them 7 0, and that really buoyed them as well. Posh's bad spell, maybe four or five games ago, coincided with Jack Taylor being out injured. And then when he came into the side, he's just such a controlled presence in the centre of midfield can dominate the central midfield and yep. really gives posh a, a platform to play. And I don't think it's any coincidence that, well, it helped that they played an Accrington team who were, who had loads of injuries and also played a back three and posh love playing against back three because they can um, exploit the space on the sides. And we saw that in the first Northampton Peterborough game where they got down the sides, of the centre backs really, really well. And, and yeah, coming into this game, the runner form has been good. Again, performances have been just solid, look good at the back, press quite well, um, and then just have the quality of Dembele, Ward, if he's playing Schmodix and, um, and Clark Harris up front, who, who, who just tend to be that, you know, the factors that win games, you, you know you're going to create some good chances with those four players in the team. It's very rare that Posh, even
3: when they're not playing well, don't create one or two good chances to score. Yeah, I've been looking at some of the Peterborough stats and we know a little bit about Johnson, Clark Harris because he's spoken quite extensively to a Bristol Rovers fan last week who is still mourning the loss of <laughs> Clark Harris. So we know the threat that he possesses. Um, just looking at some of the goal scoring stats, you said that Posh don't really rely on you know, one or two players, but just from a ba- basic stats perspective, it seems that Clark Harris is top scorer of 27, Schmodix with 12, Dem- Dembele with 11. Uh, they seem to be well ahead of Taylor on six. Now, I'm sort of underplaying it to an extent because I know for a while that all three of those, even Taylor with four, are hugely capable players and have scored more goals than we have. Probably Johnson Clark Harris is getting on towards the amount of goals we scored all season on his own. But there doesn't seem to be many goals further down. So it's like two, Reese Brown, two, Nathan thompson is it just that uh, those guys are scoring so many goals there's just no space for anyone else you literally can't fit it in or or are you, are you slightly reliant on those those first three i mentioned
7: i think what i mean by not being over reliant on them is that so if we go back to previous posh stars Sombalonga, Marriott up front would have to create chances for themselves yeah or marcus madison would score goals but all of posh's creativity came from him Whereas now, the team, the way it's set up, the way it functions, it creates chances. And it maybe wasn't the case earlier in the season when a lot of it went through almost Dembele on his own at times. And it was up to him to dribble and and create chances through his amazing dribbling and pace and strength from the ball. But as the seasons progressed, what we found is the team as a unit started functioning much better, playing to their strengths, focusing on transitions more. So Posh's biggest threat is when they get to play quickly and attack space that's opened up Probably yeah. less effective when they're having to break teams down who sit, who sit deep. And then, but even then, since they switched to the four, two, three, one with wit from fullback and wingers, especially on the right-hand side with Thompson and Ward, who really link up really well and create chances down that side, have, have a system which creates chances. Whereas the goal scoring absolutely has come from Smodics, who may not play on Friday. He missed, the last game through um, through illness, and there's a chance he he may or may not be back. So it might be Issa starting up front in a 4-4-2. If plays, likely to play ten behind Clark Harris in a 4-2-3-1. And yet yeah, the the goals have mainly come from Dembele, Clark Harris, and Schmodix, But they've had a they've had a system around them that's created a lot of good chances for them, and they're yeah. the ones who who finish it off. Rather than say when I'm saying not relying on them having lot, goals coming from lots of places, which it's not. But say yeah. a, a, even a Thompson at fullback got an assist the other week, he creates lots of good chances by getting forward, and, and his clever passing, not so much crosses, but clever passes in and around the box, and composure mm-hmm. in and around the box to create chances for people
3: mm. It just seems to me like we need to stop Ward Taylor, Dembele Schroddick and Clark Harris, and if we do that effectively, we've got a chance, but it sounds unlikely because it just seems like one of them is going to sneak out of any net we try and catch them in, so yeah, difficult it's going to be difficult, we know that you know we're gonna to have to be on it. We'll talk a little bit about how we might try and contain posh on the day. Um, so you you've said that Schmodix isn't a hundred percent sure for the game on Friday. I've sort of read that he might be available. We'll, we'll see, I guess. Um, what do you make of Darren Ferguson this season? He's had a, I wouldn't say checkered history at um posh, but he's had an interesting one, varied, let's say. Uh, do you think he's about using the Keith Carroll phrase, putting the jigsaw pieces into into position and really sort of getting a, a proper automatic promotion team together this season?
7: Yeah, I think um, his, in terms of his history, first, he's Posh's most successful manager ever. If you look at the number of seasons he's had Peter in the second tier for and the number of promotions he's got, no one comes close to matching him. I think what we found was in his second spell and then when he first came back, Posh and the Fergie before were this fast-paced attacking will score more than you side. And I think when Posh got relegated from the championship the second time round, he went very much for a different approach of wanting to control games, of wanting to be tighter at the back. And perhaps took that a little bit too far, and his size became a little bit stale and very possession-based. And although he had success at Doncaster, again, that was very much a possession-based team there. When he came back to Posh, he tried to instill that again. And probably up till last January, when he finally accepted, he didn't have the players at his disposal to do that. Switch to more of a, of a transition-based game and a fast-paced game with, with Tony, Schmodix, Dembele at the time, just causing havoc to teams when they had those fast attacks again and space, spaces to attack. We saw this season with the recruitment, Posh came out again trying to pos- play a possession-based style of play. Not really hitting Johnson, Clark, Harris early, not really hitting channels early and, and, and focusing on transitions. But I think as the seasons progress, he's found a much nicer balance in terms of Posh are still decent in possession. They're both no means the best possession based team in the league, but they are one pressing a lot more. Posh weren't pressing very much at the start of the season, started pressing more, getting more turnovers. The more turnovers they get, the more spaces there are to attack. And that's when Pasha are at their absolute best. If you look back at the goals they've scored, so many of them come from turnovers in midfield or the attacking third, and then just attacking that space quickly with Schmodix, with Dembele, with Ward, with Thompson overlapping from fullback, and that's when they're at their most dangerous. So mm-hmm. I think you're kind of right. He's 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 got a solid base defensively, and Pasha a far better organized unit than I can remember at any time watching them in the past 15 years, and then perhaps at the start of the season we didn't quite have that right balance in terms of attacking and possession game but I think that's slowly developed throughout the course of the season and I think they've slowly found their best way of doing things and culminating now in what looks like a very good side a better side I think than the one that played Northampton earlier in the season.
3: Mm. Here's an interesting one for you and this is something I often do myself and don't worry the our manager is not like likely to listen to this or give it any sort of credence what we talk about. But if you were setting up for, as the cobbler's boss against Darren Ferguson, what would you do to try and nullify the threat and try and maybe sc- scrape a draw for Northampton or a one nil win? Maybe. Um,
7: first, I think the first thing you've got to do is just reduce space. So yeah. seen it, seen it before. If you, if you, if you press this posh team high in the past, you could get joy because Posh will try and play through that press. They won't do that anymore. If you press them high, they'll just switch it out to the fullback and hit the channels and hit the space in behind. So, in the past, I might have said, Oh, yeah, press is Posh team high. Now I'm saying, Absolutely not. Let the, let the centre backs have it. Try and, if you can, funnel possession towards Beavers, who plays left centre back. Get him on the ball, and then he struggles to progress it. If you can force direction of play to him, force it back to the goalkeeper, and force Posh along but not long in terms of kicking into space, but long in terms of kicking into a congested area of the pitch and getting players around Clark Harris to win first and second balls because that's where the ball's going to go. I think that's pretty good, a good way to go. Frustrate them, obviously, reduce space between the midfield and defence and behind the defence. Those are the key areas Posh look to exploit. And then in terms of attacking, I think you want to try and get pace in behind Posh's left-hand side. I think... That side, if the fullbacks push up, occasionally Beavers has been left exposed with his lack of with his lack of pace, a really strong physical defender, tall defender, dominant in the air. But again, if you can if you can get him isolated and play him behind him, and I, I remember the Lincoln game. Lincoln did this uh, in January. Lincoln did this really, really well a couple of times and got a couple of one v ones doing it although they failed to score from them. you can you can definitely get him behind him. The other spaces you can attack is on the on the right hand side because Thompson likes to get forward, although Kent's a much better covering defender there, so perhaps a little bit harder to attack that, attack that space. Um, but yeah, that's that's the way I go. I don't think particularly a long ball system works well against Posh. It did in the past, but they've got Beavers, who's dominant in the air, and Kent's massively improved, and they've got central midfielders, who are getting much better at picking up those second balls. So I think you've really got to target those wide areas, and especially get in behind on Posh's left side as often as possible.
3: Mm, might be a good game for Mark Marshall. Our tricky winger is very experienced. Very Got a lot of nous and a bit of pace on him. Good good technique, can get in behind defenders. So that'll be an interesting one, depending on if he starts, what flank they put him on. But like, he seems like a natural player to have a go with. Um, it, the problem is it's a 90-minute game and there's just I just find Northampton... Uh, at moments, we're definitely not a goal threat, and that's just shown by the goals for, I think it's 34 goals in 41 games, which is pretty detrocious. Our centre midfield has been a weak spot for me all season, and people always focus on the strikers because that's the natural focus for people, the lack of goals, but it's just our drive through the middle, the creativity, and for some reason, even though we play three centre midfielders sometimes, so we have Sean McWilliams, who's a very strong prospect, a bit of a destroyer in midfield, Ryan Watson, who has... Kept us in the league probably single-handedly the last few weeks, last months or a couple of months or so. He can score goals, and then we've got Morris, who's on loan, Uh, Bryn Morris. But just the three of them together just don't seem to click. They seem to play their individual games. So Williams is a good stopper, and he's he's a good destroyer in midfield, but maybe not the best on the ball in creating. Watson probably best in the final third trying to get second balls and got a good shot on him. Then Morris, for me, is just fairly anonymous. So that's an area where if Posh have got a... Have you got any sort of drive and control in the midfield? Yeah, so the, the
7: midfield two is likely to be Brown and Taylor. Taylor's the one who will control that midfield. He's an all-action central midfielder. Had offers from championship sides in the summer to sign yeah. him, even though he'd only been at Posh for six months at that point. And I think that was interesting again in January. But he's very much a do-it-all... Can get on the ball, can drive forwards, can can pick a pass, physical presence, good out of position. Brown a very different player. He he used to play as a, primarily as a number ten, but posh using much more uh, as a deep lying player, trying to progress and build up play. He won't play long at all, but what he's good at is being very composed on the ball and just and just moving it, you know, side to side, giving you a bit of control control in there. Can sometimes be found out defensively. He's, He's he's been described as lightweight in the past, and although I think he's he's definitely improving off the ball, and, and his positioning defensively is is much better. You know, he if when he comes up against strong physical central midfielders, you definitely see a bit of a physical weakness there. Um, but but on the whole, that Peterborough midfield was an area I think when Posh played the back three that they often just left a two-man midfield in there, and they often got completely overrun in that having to cover too much ground. Since they've gone to the back four, they drop into either a 4-3-3 three, three or a 4-4-2 four, four, block shape and have a much more balance and, and coverage of the pitch. And I think that's made the demands of the midfielders out of possession a lot a lot easier. Whereas before, they used to often lose that midfield battle. Posh really have been, have been competitive in that midfield battle in most of their recent games.
3: What about set pieces? Because cobblers can be pretty effective at set pieces on their day. You've got a new standing keeper, Joseph Burst. Bursic, has he, he shown any, I think he's only played one or two games, has he showed any any form in those probably hasn't been tested that much, maybe just that could might be an error where cobblers can get something Yeah, so Bursic um, is on loan from Stoke um, as an emergency loan to his Christy Pin been the
7: first choice keeper all season, it's kind of worked out quite well for Posh because Pin was in a real sketchy patch of form he was injured, a loophole in the rule, although Posh had two goalkeepers on their books, neither of them had played five league games in their career so they didn't count as senior keepers, even though one of them's 24. He's never played a league game. So that meant posh dip into the emergency loan market. Signed Burket Bursek, who played, uh, I think, 15 times for Stoke, even though he was their third choice. They had some issues and played the first half of the season at Doncaster. England's 21 goalkeeper. He um he's a little bit error pr- prone as a keeper from what I've seen. I've watched a lot of his footage from his times at Doncaster and at Stoke. Um, he is a big keeper. I think about six two, six three. He's, he's technically really good. His key issues are he has a little habit from crosses to overzealously come and try and claim them. So he's probably better at crosses than Christy is, whose height always held him back. But he does sometimes come when he shouldn't come. He gets caught out and he's conceded a few goals this season at both Doncaster and Stoke, where he came for balls, which he shouldn't have come for and left his goal open. And yep. then although he's a very athletic and technically good keeper, his positioning from shot stopping, he can sometimes be pulled. He can sometimes be quite severely out of position on his shot stopping, and that's cost him one or two goals. But on the whole, I think if anything, he's probably at this stage of the season an upgrade on Pim. The, the biggest thing you see in the main reason Posh uh, signed him is his distribution is absolutely superb. May have seen the footage of him at Doncaster whipping in attacking free kicks, which he was trying to score. But he can distribute
3: from hands. He can distribute from floor. That leads us to a score prediction. I'll let you go first. I imagine you're fairly confident of a win. Yeah,
7: I, I think so. If if Posh get if Posh start the game quickly, I, I I can't see them having too many problems. As I said, I think the issues may come from the intensity. I, I imagine it's gonna be very similar to the first game. I imagine that tempo is gonna be ferocious for the first 20, 25 minutes. And the key thing for Posh to do for me is to to stand up to that and and see that period of play out. And if they do that. I'm going to go for a two-nil
3: Peterborough win. I sort of think that's pretty reasonable and that's not beyond the realms of possibility. I guess in a way, the Cobblers game isn't one. Although posh, the uh, Cobblers aren't great this season. It's just a game that posh could probably do without at this stage of the season, and vice versa, because there's a derby element. You always tend to raise your game for it. They they say that derbies are a leveler, so form sometimes goes out the window. Cobblers are going to be bang up for it because. We're tipping on relegation. We need the win. So potentially, Cobblers could do something. They could scrape a one-nil win, or they could get a one 0 draw. A draw wouldn't be the end of the world for us. Although our running is lethal, we're likely to go down at some point. But uh, we don't really don't want to rubber stamp it against Posh. So my score prediction, you know, recently and sort of previously, I've been fairly realistic, and I, in my head would say. posh 3-1 posh 3-0 posh maybe we don't even score but I'm just gonna go with my heart it's not even probably my heart but I'm just gonna go with hopeful one all, I'm gonna say one all. just keep you to a draw so we sort of live to fight another day but it's just as I said previously it's just at this stage of the season we don't want we don't want a three or four nil you know, some people are saying we're going to lose five 0 that sort of thing. We just don't need that because that's just going to defeat the any optimism we've got staying up. It just it just kills everything. So I guess we can catch up after the game and see what happens. But <laughs> thanks for joining me. It's always re- really interesting as usual. The tactical insights are excellent always. So um, thanks a lot, and we'll speak again soon.
7: No, thanks for having me on. And look, it's it's a derby, isn't it? So saw Wigan win last night, and informed Sunday team. Anything could happen on Friday.
3: So we're going to move on now to the. New or one-week-old topic of underrated cobblers. And we've talked about various other stuff to do with Northampton. Sometimes players just fly under the radar a little bit and go underappreciated. And we're on to the defenders this week. And we put it out to the Twitter readers, as usual. And we've got loads. I'm not sure we'll be able to get through them more if you're listening and you've put one in and don't hear it. But um I'll try my best. Um, Jeff, you might have to help us a little bit with some of these. I do remember yeah. them, but... It, couple of them of when you were covering it so you that might mean a little bit more in terms of your coverage um Rob Oloforn I think it was a left back this is from Sullyman uh and Des Little right back
6: yeah well they were in that um that Calderwood team that uh lo- lost at Mansfield have I got that right they were the the fullbacks in around that sort of time I think Des Little kind of got a bit sort of uh, faded out towards the end of that season but yeah they were both really good the thing is with this is um, they were quite good at other clubs as well yeah you know, Des Little played for Forest didn't he Robert Olethorne was at Sheffield United um, so yeah they, they had good careers elsewhere whereas a lot of the people that were mentioned di- didn't I don't think
3: <laughs> yeah that's true Norwich rings a bell for Rob Oliver, and might be wrong. Yeah, that's
6: right. He was at Norwich as well. Yeah, he, yeah. I think he for Sheffield United. In do you remember that game where there was accusations that they uh, pretended to get players injured to so they ah oh, yeah
5: yeah they wanted to get below seven players, didn't they? Yeah. They, they had to try to get someone sent off. off.
6: Was that the one where is it George Santos comes on and tries oh, to yes. kill Andy Johnson?
5: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was it was deal. Interestingly and, and perhaps surprisingly, it was Neil Warnock's side. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who, would have, who would have thought it?
3: Do you reckon, um, Cobblers? Remember Cobblers v. Hereford? That was what Hereford were trying to do when they just went absolutely kamikaze on a bloody poor Kevin Wilkin. Oh, no, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, I, I was at that
5: game, I remember it, and the fact, and in fact, it's still on YouTube because it, it made you know Anglia TV did the highlights. Brilliant, that was just it, it was brutal and beautiful. The fact they equalised with nine and still yeah. got two cent off. Yeah. It was just like that. That was a strange old Sunday. That's probably why they
6: didn't want to forfeit, because they probably thought they could still
5: get yeah. three points. <laughs> <course. laughs> You'd have hated, wouldn't you? You're down to seven. You've somehow got it. To, and, 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 I mean, we had the game. We were down to eight the other week. We lost a last minute penalty when I was playing. But you're down to seven. You've somehow got an equaliser. Imagine if you'd have got a dodgy decision that got someone sent off
3: for a dive,
5: <laughs> you would have been livid. Yeah, yeah, let's move
3: on to some of the other underrated players. Um, Ian will uh be pleased with this one. Um, Evan Horwood, Ian, just describe it to people who have never seen the, the wonders of Evan Horwood. What was what was it? What was he like, Ian?
2: Where to start with Evan, eh? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where to start? Um, yes, he was just competent wasn't he an assuming guy um real character off the pitch judging Mm. by his partner's twitter feed not that i'm stalking or anything but um i actually did a blog on it i like you can put a link out on my cobbler's scoops blog (laughs) who was the best um (laughs) evan horwood or david buchanan and um evan won because he uh yeah, well, you will have to have a look, but he's, there were some great pictures. He's a dog lover. Keep coming on the theme of this podcast as well, isn't it? Yeah. Really, all the dog all the dog chat before we came on here. By the way, my kids are watching Turner and Hooch as well, which is a, you know another one. But yeah, there's some great pictures of Evan cuddling up to an absolutely massive dog. There's one of him dressed as a penguin on a stag dude. <laughs> he just seems like a right lad. Um, I think he's one of those players. Whenever, whatever club he was at, usually when he was at Hartlepool, whenever they needed someone for a photo shoot, they would to promote, you know, like the latest community endeavour, whatever. They'd get Evan in, wouldn't they? Or Evan sit at this desk and pretend you're like on the club's website doing something, or Evan wave a little flag to promote this and things like that. Um, but yeah, he was he was a decent, he was a he was a competent enough player, wasn't he? He was all right. I, 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 he's not underrated in my book because I just always rated him really highly. But uh, you know, <laughs>
3: um, I'm surprised he never got involved in that immortal photo of the shoot the boot, the back of the boot, and the corner slightly, of the ground.
2: Slightly before his time, wasn't it? Slightly just before his time, I think. Otherwise, yeah, it would he would have been in there.
3: Mm, definitely, but I remember him. Yeah, he's just it was a left back, wasn't it? And he was, um, yeah, pretty pretty useful squad player. Um, Gregor uh, Robertson from in Townsend as well. Gregor Robertson, I think he was left back as well. Um, Jeff, and now he's quite an accomplished writer, isn't he, for the Times? Yeah, yeah, he
6: was. Um, he was doing. I'm not sure. I don't think he was doing it while he was playing, but he was always. He always had an eye on journalism and and writing and stuff. Another one who's a really good guy. Really good guy. What I actually thought he was. Um, well, him and Horwood were players that were signed by Wilder. Who I thought were really, you know, were really quite competent players and stuff, but then they upgraded them and then won the league. So just perhaps sort of calls into question my judgment there a little bit. But um, really nice guy. And um, I remember Alan Neil said about him once: "Look at look at the size of his head. He's got the biggest head in the world." So if you ever get to see any old footage of him playing, just keep an eye on how massive his head is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's such a good writer he's just got a very big brain for quite possibly yeah yeah mm. yeah i always sort of like when the ex-players start doing sort of journalism and i always think oh god you know it's hard enough to make make your way in anyway without more competition for players but he is actually yeah. really yeah. good and he's got some good links and he, he does find little interesting stories in especially to do with you know the world of players and stuff so yeah fair play to him and quite a good football i think he played for forest as well so there's a bit of a link there. Yeah. To, yeah previous players we discussed um this is Gary Waldron um Nicky Smith now that's one of those players that I've heard of but they just leave me blank but does anyone remember him Nicky Smith yeah
5: we saw oh. i think we it was a weird one we signed him if not on loan maybe it was a non contract thing from either AFC Sudbury or Sudbury Town it was it was for that, a little odd league team in, in Suffolk was, i think ex Colchester and maybe just, for whatever reason just playing for a local side we signed him I think it was only his late 20s but he was full grey as well hmm. but he was he looked a very competent as I recall it's a good late 90s mid 90s um,
6: yeah um, Martin help me out here it was Ian Atkins signing wasn't he the bet I think didn't... so but yeah but did he in my mind, I've got it in my mind, and this could well be wrong because lots of things in my mind and my memories are wrong. Did he score a corner? Don't
5: I know. I'm, don't I'm, I'm know. I've
6: memory of him taking a, a corner from the left-hand side of the... As you look at the pitch from the north stand, the day stand, the left side taking an in-swinging left-footed corner that went straight in. I'm, I might have dreamt that. I've,
5: I, I mean, I've got him as a left-back, and I'm yeah.
6: assuming left-footed, so... If any of the listeners know that if, yes. the, if it's in the, the mid 90s, <laughs> if any of the listeners sure know, is, you could probably hold up
5: a substitute board and sub Jefferson or Martin because <laughs> you will do a better
3: job of talking about Nicky Smith. <laughs> I'm just looking at his Wikipedia actually, and that's just I just think Wikipedia is such a great thing for research because you don't even know if it's true half of it. But um, apparently, Nicky Leslie Smith. Which is just a great middle name as well. Um, he he played for several non-league teams while serving as a policeman. Oh and wow! Captain what, Co- like un- undercover.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've just I've just watched the latest line of duty. You know,
3: I, I, I like I like this twist. He captain, coach and managed the England Police team. Now this is off of Wikipedia. If it's wrong, I'm sorry, uh, Nicky Leslie Smith. But he he joined us from Colchester. Then went to Sudbury Town, where he played 154 games. Then Cambridge City, and then he eventually ended up at AFC Sudbury again. But uh, yeah, the national England national police team. Well, that, that's
5: an interest. Now another name that popped up on Twitter was Bob Coy, who who they signed when um Russ Wilcox broke his leg, I think mm-hmm. pre-season 86 87, and he was a perfectly competent. Um, Centre half, the ex-Wolves, um, but we basically once Wilcox was fit, he was in the side, and him McPherson were like brilliant centre half pairing. And I think he went off to be a copper. And I, I don't know, do, do lots of lots of footballers go and become coppers? I mean, they'll all be physically fit, I guess. Mm. But yes, when so Nicky Smith was, I'm like, oh, Bob Coy was. I don't know, you know, hell, <laughs> maybe maybe another show for the off season. Ex-Wolves <laughs> a- the- that became
3: coppers. <laughs> And uh, Ian Hendon's been mentioned. I'm sure Hendon is where the uh, national police, <laughs> police training quality. Yes, indeed, yeah. A couple of other ones before we go. Uh, let's go with Peter Gilbert. Now, Jake told us quite a little, quite a lot about Peter Gilbert on the WhatsApp. Um, Jeff, you know, can you? You said you've got a, sort of some interesting stories about. him. I don't know if, if they're broadcastable or not. Um, can you just sort of like fill us in on who he was, Peter Gilbert? Peter Gilbert.
6: Um. Was a, Yeah, left back. It was a Geordie. I'm not sure who they picked him up from, um, but he, so he had finished the sort of played the last 10, 12 games of this, the previous season, and he was in for training, pre-season training. And th- what what I was told was um, they had offered him a contract. He'd taken the paperwork away with him. He's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, yeah, that all looks fine. I just need to take it, run it past my agent or whatever and uh yeah that but i'm sure it's okay i'll bring it back in and then never did and and every day he'd turn up for training and sam would say have you got that have you got that contract and he's like oh no no it's, it's it's at home oh sorry no i'll bring it in tomorrow and then that happened every day for uh about <laughs> two weeks And then he didn't come in for training and he signed for south end was it
3: <laughs> yeah it was south end yeah
6: yeah and um I think the best I can say, um, broadcaster boy, is that Samo was not impressed.
5: <laughs> <laughs> is this, there's sometimes a question of why players have agents. And people say, you know, it's like These guys cream off all this money and whatever. I'd imagine it's a slightly less awkward situation than having to say, you
3: know, the dog gets my contract.
5: Yeah,
6: yeah. <laughs>
3: And I was looking yeah. at a story, Jeff, um, from that time. It was 2010. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, this is from the Echo News in Southend. Uh, Peter Gilbert heads back to Northampton Town tomorrow, insisting he is only interested in securing three points for Southend United. 27-year-old left-back incurred the wrath of cobbler's manager Ian Sampson when he swapped the Sixfield Stadium for Roots Hall during the summer. Sampson accused Gilbert of going back on his word and said he felt very let down by the defender's decision to depart. But Gilbert remains focused on just the football and continuing Blues' recent good run of results. It's quite funny what he says now. It did disappoint me what he said, but the gaffer made his comments and he can say what he wants because I'm concentrating on South End and I'm not interested to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I quite like I know that cubs often have the nap the whip hand over players, so I quite like players doing stuff like that and let's shoot off now guys uh, get get in sort of prepared for the game on Friday. on yeah. <laughs> the hooks until it, until it kicks off, but uh, we'll be back next week. We've only got a few more shows of this season. Um, and we'll um, be back next week. But take it easy, guys. And we'll speak again next week. Cheers, all. Bye. So so yeah. so so yeah. Cheers, guys. Bye bye.